How y'all doing there? Sure I'd like to thank y'all for stopping by to have a cigar with Uncle Maduro. <laughs> Look at him. Now y'all knows before we get started, I would like to tell y'all what I'm smoking on. But today, I'm not smoking on anything because it's a weekday. But I can't tell y'all about a good stick y'all should take a look at. Now tonight, or today should I say, I'm so used to saying tonight when I do these little pod talks. Today, we're going to take a look at 601 Blue Label Maduro. Hmm, very interesting. 601 Blue Label Maduro. Now y'all know I do a lot of Maduros because I sure like the Maduros. <laughs> okay, now, now this thing here, I'm going to tell what these folks say now. These folks say that every cigar under the 601 brand name is a top quality handmade premium crafted by Eric Espanso, a tobacco industry veteran who has worked with many of the cigar world's most innovative and edge, Drew Estates, Alec Bradley, and Gurko, just to name a few. Crafted as Espanso's Lazano factory in Nicaragua, and you know I got the Louisiana education, the 601 Blue Label Maduro Cigar brand is a handmade in a sleek, almost box press shape that shows off an alluringly oily Connecticut broad loop Maduro wrapper, which adds a ripe, sweet accent to the aromic balance complex and dense blend of premium Cuban seed Nicaraguan long filler tobaccos. Featured in a medium to full body strength profile and a, a meticulous construction that consistently ensures an even burn. The 601 Blue Air Maduro line of handmade premium cigars, while bold and hearty, stops short of super strong and is a popular choice, not only among Maduro fans like me, but for any other shopper. Man, let me tell y'all. Now, they say this is a good stick. Now, I got to go Friday. I got to go to, up to Roz and see if he carried this 601 Blue Air Maduro because I don't rightly shop online until I go to Roz first and uh, smoke it for myself or see what he think about it. That's because I'm still a pup in this game here. I know what I like, but I also like to get my cigars from my local shop at first. Then I shop online, you know, to build up my little humidor when it's time to do that. But when y'all get a chance, y'all go to your local cigar spot, y'all see if they carry this 601 Blue Leo Maduro and check it out for yourself. You want to drop me an email, tell me what y'all think about it, and y'all do that. That's if I don't get a chance getting my hands on one first. <laughs> All right. Now, look here. I got, I'm going to switch it up on y'all tonight. Y'all know lately I've always been talking about, you know, money, the uh, economic situation, some of the some of the, the crazy uh, race-based situations that's going on out here, all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, Uncle, Uncle Maduro is a worldly guy. You know, I try to think about everything. But one of my most favorite things to learn for myself is technology. I love technology. I just wish I was smart enough. I would have had a head start in the getting into like uh, computer programming and coding and stuff like that a little earlier. I like that kind of stuff. But today, we're going to take a look at phishing emails and email fraud. Then Uncle Maduro will give y'all 22 ways to protect yourself. Because I see everybody these days online, even these old folks out here, driving with two hands on the road trying to check their email. <coughs> but I tell you, these old folks out here, they get an email. Now, it's almost dangerous enough when you have these little, these little gals, teenagers driving these days, and they checking their cell phone, watch how to put their makeup on, and textbook and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And fellas, you know, trying to get their Instagram liked up. But now you got old folks out here that's getting addicted to these computers. So, but I want to tell y'all, we gonna take a look at this thing, especially for my older folks, because these young folks out here who learn this computer program, 
especially them old folks overseas. I'm telling you, they got all these kind of fish down the emails to get your information because today everything is about collecting your data. That's what everything is about, collecting data. Data, data, what they call it, data mining. I'm going to do a little talk on that later, data mining. But my little first little series here on technology, we're going to take a look at again, phishing emails and email fraud. Then Uncle Madon give y'all 22 ways to protect yourself. Now y'all take a look and listen, y'all take a listen to this and we'll come back on the flip side. All right. All right now. Let's take a look at phishing and email fraud and 22 ways to protect yourself. An example of a phishing email, disguised as an official email from a fictional bank. The sender is attempting to trick the recipient into revealing confidential information by confirming it at the Fisher's website. Note the misspelling of the words received and discrepancy as received and discrepancy, respectively. Although the URL of the bank's webpage appears to be legitimate, the hyperlink points at the Fisher's webpage. Phishing is the fraudulent attempt to obtain sensitive information or data, such as usernames, passwords, and credit card details, by disguising oneself as a trustworthy entity in an electronic communication. Typically carried out by email spoofing, instant messaging, and text messaging, phishing often directs users to enter personal information at a fake website which matches the look and feel of the legitimate site. Phishing is an example of social engineering techniques used to deceive users. Users are lured by communications purporting to be from trusted parties such as social websites, auction sites, banks, colleagues-slash-executives, online payment processors or IT administrators. Attempts to deal with phishing incidents include legislation, user training, public awareness, and technical security measures, the latter being due to phishing attacks frequently exploiting weaknesses in current web security. The word is a neologism created as a homophone of phishing. Spear phishing. Phishing attempts directed at specific individuals or companies is known as spear phishing. In contrast to bulk phishing, spear phishing attackers often gather and use personal information about their target to increase their probability of success. The first study of social phishing, a type of spear phishing attack that leverages friendship information from social networks, yielded over 70% success rate in experiments. Within organizations, Spear phishing targets employees, typically executives, or those that work in financial departments that have access to financial data. Threat Group 4127, Fancy Bear, used spear phishing tactics to target email accounts linked to Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign. They attacked more than 1,800 Google accounts and implemented the accounts-google.com domain to threaten targeted users. Whaling the term whaling refers to spear phishing attacks directed specifically at senior executives and other high-profile targets. In these cases, the content will be crafted to target an upper manager and the person's role in the company. The content of a whaling attack email may be an executive issue such as a subpoena or customer complaint. Catfishing, and catfishing. Catfishing, is a type of online deception that involves getting to know someone closely in order to gain access to information or resources, usually in the control of the mark, or to otherwise get control over the conduct of the target. Catfishing, a similar but distinct concept, involves a person creating a social network presence as a sock puppet or fictional person in order to finagle someone into a, usually, romantic relationship. This usually begins online, with the hope or promise of it progressing to real-life romance. This is never the objective of the perpetrator, in general, he is seeking access to the mark's money or resources, or to receive gifts or other consideration from the victim. Occasionally, it may be a form of self-serving attention-getting. Clone phishing. Clone phishing is a type of phishing attack whereby a legitimate, and previously delivered, email containing an attachment or link has had its content and recipient address, ES, taken and used to create an almost identical or cloned email. 
The attachment or link within the email is replaced with a malicious version and then sent from an email address spoofed to appear to come from the original sender. It may claim to be a resend of the original or an updated version to the original. Typically this requires either the sender or recipient to have been previously hacked for the malicious third party to obtain the legitimate email. Voice phishing. Not all phishing attacks require a fake website. Messages that claim to be from a bank told users to dial a phone number regarding problems with their bank accounts. Once the phone number, owned by the phisher, and provided by a voice over IP service, was dialed, prompts told users to enter their account numbers and PIN. Vishing, voice phishing, sometimes uses fake caller ID data to give the appearance that calls come from a trusted organization. SMS phishing. SMS phishing or smeezing uses cell phone text messages to deliver the bait to induce people to divulge their personal information. Smeezing attacks typically invite the user to click a link, call a phone number, or contact an email address provided by the attacker via SMS message. The victim is then invited to provide their private data, often, credentials to other websites or services. Furthermore, due to the nature of mobile browsers, URLs may not be fully displayed, this may make it more difficult to identify an illegitimate logon page. As the mobile phone market is now saturated with smartphones which all have fast internet connectivity, a malicious link sent via SMS can yield the same result as it would if sent via email. Smeezing messages may come from telephone numbers that are in a strange or unexpected format. In June 2018, the Orange County Social Services Agency, SSA, warned residents of a texting scam that attempts to obtain cardholder information of CalWORKS, CAFRESH, and general relief clients throughout California. Techniques Link Manipulation Most types of phishing use some form of technical deception designed to make a link in an email, and the spoofed website it leads to, appear to belong to the spoofed organization. Misspelled URLs or the use of subdomains are common tricks used by phishers. In the following example URL, http colon slash slash www.yoabank.example.com, it appears as though the URL will take you to the example section of the Your Bank website, actually this URL points to the Your Bank, i.e. phishing, section of the example website. Another common trick is to make the displayed text for a link, the text between the A tags, suggest a reliable destination, when the link actually goes to the Fisher site. Many desktop email clients and web browsers will show a link's target URL in the status bar while hovering the mouse over it. This behavior, however, may in some circumstances be overridden by the Fisher. Equivalent mobile apps generally do not have this preview feature. Internationalized domain names, IDN, can be exploited via IDN spoofing or homograph attacks, to create web addresses visually identical to a legitimate site, that lead instead to malicious version. Fishers have taken advantage of a similar risk, using open URL redirectors on the websites of trusted organizations to disguise malicious URLs with a trusted domain. Even digital certificates do not solve this problem because it is quite possible for a fisher to purchase a valid certificate and subsequently change content to spoof a genuine website, or, to host the fish site without SSL at all. Filter evasion. Fishers have sometimes used images instead of text to make it harder for anti-phishing filters to detect the text commonly used in phishing emails. In response, more sophisticated anti-phishing filters are able to recover hidden text in images using optical character recognition, OCR. To avoid anti-phishing techniques that scan websites for phishing-related text, fishers sometimes use Adobe Flash. These look much like the real website, but hide the text in a multimedia object. Website Forgery some phishing scams use JavaScript commands in order to alter the address bar of the website they lead to. This is done either by placing a picture of a legitimate URL over the address bar, or by closing the original bar and opening up a new one with the legitimate URL. 
an attacker can also potentially use flaws in a trusted website's own scripts against the victim. These types of attacks, known as cross-site scripting, XSS, are particularly problematic, because they direct the user to sign in at their bank or service's own web page, where everything from the web address to the security certificates appears correct. In reality, the link to the website is crafted to carry out the attack, making it very difficult to spot without specialist knowledge. Such a flaw was used in 2006 against PayPal. Covered Redirect Covered redirect is a subtle method to perform phishing attacks that makes links appear legitimate, but actually redirect a victim to an attacker's website. The flaw is usually masqueraded under a login pop-up based on an affected site's domain. It can affect OAuth 2.0 and OpenID based on well-known exploit parameters as well. This often makes use of open redirect and XSS vulnerabilities in the third-party application websites. Users may also be redirected to phishing websites coveredly through malicious browser extensions. Normal phishing attempts can be easy to spot because the malicious page's URL will usually be different from the real site link. For covered redirect, an attacker could use a real website instead by corrupting the site with a malicious login pop-up dialog box. This makes covered redirect different from others. For example, suppose a victim clicks a malicious phishing link beginning with Facebook. A pop-up window from Facebook will ask whether the victim would like to authorize the app. If the victim chooses to authorize the app, a token will be sent to the attacker and the victim's personal sensitive information could be exposed. These information may include the email address, birth date, contacts, and work history. In case the token has greater privilege, the attacker could obtain more sensitive information including the mailbox, online presence, and friends list. Worse still, the attacker may possibly control and operate the user's account. Even if the victim does not choose to authorize the app, he or she will still get redirected to a website controlled by the attacker. This could potentially further compromise the victim. This vulnerability was discovered by Wang Jing, a mathematics PhD student at School of Physical and Mathematical Sciences in Nanyang Technological University in Singapore. Covered redirect is a notable security flaw, though it is not a threat to the internet worth significant attention. Social engineering. Users can be encouraged to click on various kinds of unexpected content for a variety of technical and social reasons. For example, a malicious attachment might masquerade as a benign-linked Google Doc. Alternatively users might be outraged by a fake news story, click a link and become infected. Other techniques. Another attack used successfully is to forward the client to a bank's legitimate website, then to place a pop-up window requesting credentials on top of the page in a way that makes many users think the bank is requesting this sensitive information. Tubnubbing takes advantage of tabbed browsing, with multiple open tabs. This method silently redirects the user to the affected site. This technique operates in reverse to most phishing techniques in that it does not directly take the user to the fraudulent site, but instead loads the fake page in one of the browser's open tabs. History 1980s A phishing technique was described in detail in a paper and presentation delivered to the 1987 International HP Users Group, Interix. 1990s The term phishing is said to have been coined by the well-known spammer and hacker in the mid-90s, Con C. Smith. The first recorded mention of the term is found in the hacking tool AOL, according to its creator, which included a function for attempting to steal the passwords or financial details of America Online users. Early AOL Phishing Phishing on AOL was closely associated with the whereas community that exchanged unlicensed software and the black hat hacking scene that perpetrated credit card fraud and other online crimes. AOL enforcement would detect words used in AOL chat rooms to suspend the accounts of individuals involved in counterfeiting software and trading stolen accounts. The term was used because is the single most common tag of HTML that was found in all chat transcripts naturally, 
and as such could not be detected or filtered by AOL staff. The symbol was replaced for any wording that referred to stolen credit cards, accounts, or illegal activity. Since the symbol looked like a fish, and due to the popularity of freaking it was adapted as phishing. AOL, released in early 1995, was a program designed to hack AOL users by allowing the attacker to pose as an AOL staff member, and send an instant message to a potential victim, asking him to reveal his password. In order to lure the victim into giving up sensitive information, the message might include imperatives such as verify your account or confirm billing information. Once the victim had revealed the password, the attacker could access and use the victim's account for fraudulent purposes. Both phishing and wearzing on AOL generally required custom written programs, such as AOL. Phishing became so prevalent on AOL that they added a line on all instant messages stating, no one working at AOL will ask for your password or billing information. A user using both an AIM account and an AOL account from an ISP simultaneously could fish AOL members with relative impunity as internet AIM accounts could be used by non-AOL internet members and could not be actioned, i.e., reported to AOLTOS department for disciplinary action. In late 1995, AOL crackers resorted to phishing for legitimate accounts after AOL brought in measures in late 1995 to prevent using fake, algorithmically generated credit card numbers to open accounts. Eventually, AOL's policy enforcement forced copyright infringement off AOL servers, and AOL promptly deactivated accounts involved in phishing, often before the victims could respond. The shutting down of the whereas scene on AOL caused most fishers to leave the service. 2000s 2001 the first known direct attempt against a payment system affected eGold in June 2001, which was followed up by a post 9-11 ID check shortly after the September 11th attacks on the World Trade Center. 2003 The first known phishing attack against a retail bank was reported by the banker in September. 2003 2004 It is estimated that between May 2004 and May 2005, Approximately 1.2 million computer users in the United States suffered losses caused by phishing, totaling approximately 929 million US dollars. United States businesses lose an estimated 2 billion US dollars per year as their clients become victims. Phishing is recognized as a fully organized part of the black market. Specializations emerged on a global scale that provided phishing software for payment, thereby outsourcing risk, which were assembled and implemented into phishing campaigns by organized gangs. 2005. In the United Kingdom losses from web banking fraud mostly from phishing almost doubled to GB pound 23.2 M in 2005, from GB pound 12.2 M in 2004, while 1 in 20 computer users claimed to have lost out to phishing in 2005. 2006. Almost half of phishing thefts in 2006 were committed by groups operating through the Russian business network based in St. Petersburg. Banks dispute with customers over phishing losses. The stance adopted by the UK banking body APAX is that customers must also take sensible precautions, so that they are not vulnerable to the criminal. Similarly, when the first spate of phishing attacks hit the Irish Republic's banking sector in September 2006, the Bank of Ireland initially refused to cover losses suffered by its customers, although losses to the tune of €113,000 were made good. Fishers are targeting the customers of banks and online payment services. Emails, supposedly from the Internal Revenue Service, have been used to glean sensitive data from U.S. taxpayers. While the first such examples were sent indiscriminately in the expectation that some would be received by customers of a given bank or service, recent research has shown that fishers may in principle be able to determine which bank's potential victims use, and target bogus emails accordingly. Social networking sites are a prime target of phishing, since the personal details in such sites can be used in identity theft, 
In late 2006 a computer worm took over pages on MySpace and altered links to direct surfers to websites designed to steal login details. 2007. 3.6 million adults lost 3.2 billion US dollars in the 12 months ending in August 2007. Microsoft claims these estimates are grossly exaggerated and puts the annual phishing loss in the US at 60 US dollars million 83. Attackers who broke into TD Ameritrade's database and took 6.3 million email addresses, though they were not able to obtain social security numbers, account numbers, names, addresses, dates of birth, phone numbers, and trading activity, also wanted the account usernames and passwords, so they launched a follow-up spear phishing attack. 2008. The RapidShare file sharing site has been targeted by phishing to obtain a premium account, which removes speed caps on downloads, auto-removal of uploads, waits on downloads, and cool-down times between uploads. Cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin facilitate the sale of malicious software, making transactions secure and anonymous citation needed. 2009. In January 2009, a phishing attack resulted in unauthorized wire transfers of 1.9 million US dollars through Experimental's online banking accounts. In the third quarter of 2009, the anti-phishing working group reported receiving 115,370 phishing email reports from consumers with US and China hosting more than 25% of the phishing pages each. 2011. In March 2011, internal RSA staff were successfully phished, leading to the master keys for all RSA SEC read security tokens being stolen, then subsequently used to break into US defense suppliers 89. Chinese phishing campaigns targeted Gmail accounts of highly ranked officials of the United States and South Korean governments and militaries, as well as Chinese political activists. 2012. According to Ghosh, there were 445,004 attacks in 2012 as compared to 258,461 in 2011 and 187,203 in 2010. 2013. In August 2013, Advertising service Outbrain suffered a spear phishing attack and C placed redirects into the websites of the Washington Post, Time, and CNN. In October 2013, emails purporting to be from American Express were sent to an unknown number of recipients. In November 2013, 110 million customer and credit card records were stolen from target customers through a phished subcontractor account. CEO and IT security staff subsequently fired. By December 2013, CryptoLocker ransomware had infected 250,000 computers. According to Dell SecureWorks, 0.4% or more of those infected likely agreed to the ransom demand. 2014. In January 2014, the Secular Research Lab identified a new targeted attack that used Extreme Rat. This attack used spear phishing emails to target Israeli organizations and deploy the piece of advanced malware. 15 machines were compromised including ones belonging to the civil administration of Judea and Samaria. In August 2014, the iCloud leaks of celebrity photos was found to be based on phishing emails sent to the victims that looked like they came from Apple or Google, warning the victims that their accounts might be compromised and asking for their account details. In November 2014, phishing attacks on ICANN gained administrative access to the centralized zone data system, also gained was data about users in the system, and access to ICANN's Public Governmental Advisory Committee wiki, blog, and HOI information portal. 2015. Charles H. Eccleston plead guilty in an attempted spear phishing when he attempted to infect computers of 80 Department of Energy employees. Elliot Higgins and other journalists associated with Bellingcat, a group researching the shootdown of Malaysia Airlines Flight 17 over Ukraine, were targeted by numerous spear phishing emails. 
In August 2015, Cozy Bear was linked to a spear phishing cyber attack against the Pentagon email system causing the shutdown of the entire joint staff unclassified email system and internet access during the investigation. In August 2015, Fancy Bear used a zero-day exploit of Java, in a spear phishing attack spoofing the Electronic Frontier Foundation and launching attacks on the White House and NATO. 2016 In February, Austrian aerospace firm FECCAG was defrauded of 42 million euros, 47 million dollars, through a Beck attack, and subsequently fired both the CFO and CEO. Fancy Bear carried out spear phishing attacks on email addresses associated with the Democratic National Committee in the first quarter of 2016. The Wichita Eagle reported coup employees fall victim to phishing scam, lose paychecks. Fancy Bear is suspected to be behind a spear phishing attack in August 2016 on members of the Bundestag and multiple political parties such as Lincoln faction leader Sarah Wagenknecht, Jung Union, and the CDU of Tsarland. In August 2016, the World Anti-Doping Agency reported the receipt of phishing emails sent to users of its database claiming to be official WADA, but consistent with the Russian hacking group Fancy Bear. According to WADA, some of the data the hackers released had been forged. Within hours of the 2016 U.S. election results, Russian hackers sent emails from spoofed Harvard University email addresses, using techniques similar to phishing to publish fake news targeted at ordinary American voters. 2017 In 2017, 76% of organizations experienced phishing attacks. Nearly half of information security professionals surveyed said that the rate of attacks increased from 2016. In the first half of 2017 businesses and residents of Qatar were hit with more than 93,570 phishing events in a three-month span. A phishing email to Google and Facebook users successfully induced employees into wiring money, to the extent of 100 million US dollars, to overseas bank accounts under the control of a hacker. He has since been arrested by the US Department of Justice. In August 2017, customers of Amazon faced the Amazon Prime Day phishing attack, when hackers sent out seemingly legitimate deals to customers of Amazon. When Amazon's customers attempted to make purchases using the deals, the transaction would not be completed, prompting the retailer's customers to input data that could be compromised and stolen. 2018 In 2018, the company Blockpoint One, which developed the EOS.io blockchain, was attacked by a phishing group who sent phishing emails to all customers, aimed at intercepting the user's cryptocurrency wallet key, and a later attack targeted airdrop tokens. Anti-phishing There are anti-phishing websites which publish exact messages that have been recently circulating the internet, such as Fraudwatch International and Miller Smiles. Such sites often provide specific details about the particular messages. As recently as 2007, the adoption of anti-phishing strategies by businesses needing to protect personal and financial information was low 134 now there are several different techniques to combat phishing, including legislation and technology created specifically to protect against phishing. These techniques include steps that can be taken by individuals, as well as by organizations. Phone, website, and email phishing can now be reported to authorities, as described below. User training. Frame of an animation by the U.S. Federal Trade Commission intended to educate citizens about phishing tactics. People can be trained to recognize phishing attempts, and to deal with them through a variety of approaches. Such education can be effective, especially where training emphasizes conceptual knowledge and provides direct feedback. Many organizations run regular simulated phishing campaigns targeting their staff to measure the effectiveness of their training. People can take steps to avoid phishing attempts by slightly modifying their browsing habits. When contacted about an account needing to be verified, or any other topic used by phishers, 
it is a sensible precaution to contact the company from which the email apparently originates to check that the email is legitimate. Alternatively, the address that the individual knows is the company's genuine website can be typed into the address bar of the browser, rather than trusting any hyperlinks in the suspected phishing message. Nearly all legitimate email messages from companies to their customers contain an item of information that is not readily available to fishers. Some companies, for example PayPal, always address their customers by their username in emails, so if an email addresses the recipient in a generic fashion, Dear PayPal customer, it is likely to be an attempt at phishing. Furthermore, PayPal offers various methods to determine spoof emails and advises users to forward suspicious emails to their spoof at paypal.com domain to investigate and warn other customers. However it is unsafe to assume that the presence of personal information alone guarantees that a message is legitimate, and some studies have shown that the presence of personal information does not significantly affect the success rate of phishing attacks 142 which suggests that most people do not pay attention to such details. Emails from banks and credit card companies often include partial account numbers. However, recent research has shown that the public do not typically distinguish between the first few digits and the last few digits of an account number a significant problem since the first few digits are often the same for all clients of a financial institution. The Anti-Phishing Working Group produces regular report on trends in phishing attacks. Google posted a video demonstrating how to identify and protect yourself from phishing scams. Technical Approaches a wide range of technical approaches are available to prevent phishing attacks reaching users or to prevent them from successfully capturing sensitive information. Filtering out phishing mail. Specialized spam filters can reduce the number of phishing emails that reach their addressees' inboxes. These filters use a number of techniques including machine learning and natural language processing approaches to classify phishing emails, and reject email with forged addresses. Browsers alerting users to fraudulent websites. Screenshot of Firefox 2.0.0.1 Phishing Suspicious Site Warning Another popular approach to fighting phishing is to maintain a list of known phishing sites and to check websites against the list. One such service is the Safe Browsing Service 149 web browsers such as Google Chrome, Internet Explorer 7, Mozilla Firefox 2.0, Safari 3.2 and Opera all contain this type of anti-phishing measure. Firefox 2 used Google anti-phishing software. Opera 9.1 uses live blacklists from Fishtank, Siskin, and GeoTrust, as well as live whitelists from GeoTrust. Some implementations of this approach send the visited URLs to a central service to be checked, which has raised concerns about privacy. According to a report by Mozilla in late 2006, Firefox 2 was found to be more effective than Internet Explorer 7 at detecting fraudulent sites in a study by an independent software testing company. An approach introduced in mid-2006 involves switching to a special DNS service that filters out known phishing domains, this will work with any browser, and is similar in principle to using a host's file to block web adverts. To mitigate the problem of phishing sites impersonating a victim site by embedding its images, such as logos, several site owners have altered the images to send a message to the visitor that a site may be fraudulent. The image may be moved to a new file name and the original permanently replaced, or a server can detect that the image was not requested as part of normal browsing, and instead send a warning image. Augmenting Password Logins The Bank of America website is one of several that asks users to select a personal image, marketed as site key, and displays this user-selected image with any forms that request a password. Users of the bank's online services are instructed to enter a password only when they see the image they selected. However, several studies suggest that few users refrain from entering their passwords when images are absent. In addition, this feature, like other forms of two-factor authentication, is susceptible to other attacks, such as those suffered by Scandinavian Bank Nordia in late 2005, and Citibank in 2006.
a similar system, in which an automatically generated identity queue consisting of a colored word within a colored box is displayed to each website user, is in use at other financial institutions. Security skins are a related technique that involves overlaying a user-selected image onto the login form as a visual cue that the form is legitimate. Unlike the website-based image schemes, however, the image itself is shared only between the user and the browser, and not between the user and the website. The scheme also relies on a mutual authentication protocol, which makes it less vulnerable to attacks that affect user-only authentication schemes. Still another technique relies on a dynamic grid of images that is different for each login attempt. The user must identify the pictures that fit their pre-chosen categories, such as dogs, cars, and flowers. Only after they have correctly identified the pictures that fit their categories are they allowed to enter their alphanumeric password to complete the login. Unlike the static images used on the Bank of America website, a dynamic image-based authentication method creates a one-time passcode for the login, requires active participation from the user, and is very difficult for a phishing website to correctly replicate because it would need to display a different grid of randomly generated images that includes the user's secret categories. Monitoring and Takedown Several companies offer banks and other organizations likely to suffer from phishing scams round-the-clock services to monitor, analyze, and assist in shutting down phishing websites. Individuals can contribute by reporting phishing to both volunteer and industry groups, such as Siskin or Fish Tank. Individuals can also contribute by reporting phone phishing attempts to Phone Phishing, Federal Trade Commission. Phishing web pages and emails can be reported to Google. The Internet Crime Complaint Center Notice Board carries phishing and ransomware alerts. Transaction verification and signing. Solutions have also emerged using the mobile phone, smartphone, as a second channel for verification and authorization of banking transactions. Multi-factor authentication. Organizations can implement two-factor or multi-factor authentication, MFA, which requires a user to use at least two factors when logging in. For example, a user must both present a smart card and a password. This mitigates some risk, in the event of a successful phishing attack, the stolen password on its own cannot be reused to further breach the protected system. However, there are several attack methods which can defeat many of the typical systems. MFA schemes such as Web often address this issue by design. Email content redaction. Organizations that prioritize security over convenience can require users of its computers to use an email client that redacts URLs from email messages, thus making it impossible for the reader of the email to click on a link, or even copy a URL. While this may result in an inconvenience, it does almost completely eliminate email phishing attacks. Limitations of technical responses. An article in Forbes in August 2014 argues that the reason phishing problems persist even after a decade of anti-phishing technologies being sold is that phishing is a technological medium to exploit human weaknesses and that technology cannot fully compensate for human weaknesses. Legal Responses Video Instruction on How to File a Complaint with the Federal Trade Commission On January 26, 2004, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission filed the first lawsuit against a suspected fisher. The defendant, a Californian teenager, allegedly created a web page designed to look like the America Online website, and used it to steal credit card information. Other countries have followed this lead by tracing and arresting fishers. A fishing kingpin, Valder Paulo de Almeida, was arrested in Brazil for leading one of the largest fishing crime rings, which in two years stole between 18 million US dollars and 37 million US dollars. UK authorities jailed two men in June 2005 for their role in a fishing scam, in a case connected to the U.S. Secret Service Operation Firewall, which targeted notorious Carter websites. In 2006 eight people were arrested by Japanese police on suspicion of phishing fraud by creating bogus Yahoo Japan websites, netting themselves 100 million yen, 
870,000 US dollars. 182 The arrests continued in 2006 with the FBI Operation Card Keeper detaining a gang of 16 in the US and Europe. In the United States, Senator Patrick Leahy introduced the Anti-Fishing Act of 2005 in Congress on March 1, 2005. This bill, if it had been enacted into law, would have subjected criminals who created fake websites and sent bogus emails in order to defraud consumers to fines of up to 250,000 US dollars and prison terms of up to 5 years 184 the UK strengthened its legal arsenal against phishing with the Fraud Act 2006, which introduces a general offense of fraud that can carry up to a 10-year prison sentence, and prohibits the development or possession of phishing kits with intent to commit fraud. Companies have also joined the effort to crack down on phishing. On March 31, 2005, Microsoft filed 117 federal lawsuits in the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Washington. The lawsuits accused John Doe defendants of obtaining passwords and confidential information. March 2005 also saw a partnership between Microsoft and the Australian government teaching law enforcement officials how to combat various cyber crimes, including phishing. Microsoft announced a planned further 100 lawsuits outside the U.S. in March 2006, followed by the commencement, as of November 2006, of 129 lawsuits mixing criminal and civil actions. AOL reinforced its efforts against phishing in early 2006 with three lawsuits seeking a total of 18 million US dollars under the 2005 amendments to the Virginia Computer Crimes Act, and Earthlink has joined in by helping to identify six men subsequently charged with phishing fraud in Connecticut. In January 2007, Jeffrey Brett Gooden of California became the first defendant convicted by a jury under the provisions of the Can Spam Act of 2003. He was found guilty of sending thousands of emails to America Online users, while posing as AOL's billing department, which prompted customers to submit personal and credit card information. Facing a possible 101 years in prison for the Can Spam violation and 10 other counts including wire fraud, the unauthorized use of credit cards, and the misuse of AOL's trademark, he was sentenced to serve 70 months. Gooden had been in custody since failing to appear for an earlier court hearing and began serving his prison term immediately. Email fraud. Email fraud, or email scam, is intentional deception for either personal gain or to damage another individual by means of email. Almost as soon as email became widely used, it began to be used as a means to defraud people. Email fraud can take the form of a con game, or scam. Confidence tricks tend to exploit the inherent greed and dishonesty of its victims. The prospect of a bargain or something for nothing can be very tempting. Email fraud, as with other bunko schemes, usually targets naive individuals who put their confidence in schemes to get rich quickly. These include too-good-to-be-true investments or offers to sell popular items at impossibly low prices. Many people have lost their life savings due to fraud. Forms. Spoofing. Email sent from someone pretending to be someone else is known as spoofing. Spoofing may take place in a number of ways. Common to all of them is that the actual sender's name and the origin of the message are concealed or masked from the recipient. Many instances of email fraud use at least spoofing, and as most frauds are clearly criminal acts, criminals typically try to avoid easy traceability. Phishing for data. Phishing. Some spoof messages purport to be from an existing company, perhaps one with which the intended victim already has a business relationship. The bait in this instance may appear to be a message from the fraud department of, for example, the victim's bank which asks the customer to, confirm their information, log into their account, create a new password, or similar requests. If the fish takes the bait, they are hooked their account information is now in the hands of the con man, to do with it as they wish. Bogus offers. 
Email solicitations to purchase goods or services may be instances of attempted fraud. The fraudulent offer typically features a popular item or service, at a drastically reduced price. Items may be offered in advance of their actual availability. For instance, the latest video game may be offered prior to its release, but at a similar price to a normal sale. In this case, the greed factor is the desire to get something that nobody else has, and before everyone else can get it, rather than a reduction in price. Of course, the item is never delivered, as it was not a legitimate offer in the first place. Such an offer may even be no more than a phishing attempt to obtain the victim's credit card information, with the intent of using the information to fraudulently obtain goods or services, paid for by the hapless victim, who may not know they were scammed until their credit card has been used up. Requests for help. The request for help type of email fraud takes this form, an email is sent requesting help in some way. However, a reward is included for this help, which acts as a hook. The reward may be a large amount of money, a treasure, or some artifact of supposedly great value. This type of scam has existed at least since the Renaissance, known as the Spanish prisoner or Turkish prisoner scam. In its original form, this scheme has the con man purport to be in correspondence with a wealthy person who has been imprisoned under a false identity and is relying on the confidence artist to raise money to secure his release. The con man tells the mark, victim, that he is allowed to supply money, for which he should expect a generous reward when the prisoner returns. The confidence artist claims to have chosen the victim for their reputation for honesty. Other Business email compromise is a form of email fraud where employees with access to company finances are tricked into making money transfers by an email pretending to be from the CEO, or a trusted customer. Advance fee fraud, among the variations on this type of scam, are the Nigerian letter also called the 419 fraud, Nigerian scam, Nigerian bank scam, or Nigerian money offer. The Nigerian Senate emblem is sometimes used in this scam. Lottery scam, the intended victim is often told their name or email address was selected through a random computer ballot and sponsored by a marketing company. In order to claim their so-called winnings, the victim is asked to provide their bank account details and other personal information. The victim is asked to contact the claims agent or award department. FBI email, claimed to be an official order from the FBI's Anti-Terrorist and Monetary Crimes Division, from an alleged FBI unit in Nigeria, confirm an inheritance, or contain a lottery notification, all informing recipients they have been named the beneficiary of millions of dollars. Hitman, an email is sent to the victim's inbox, supposedly from a hitman who has been hired by a close friend of the recipient to kill him or her but will call off the hit in exchange for a large sum of money. This is usually backed up with a warning that if the victim informs local police or the FBI, the hitman will be forced to go through with the plan. This is less an advance fee fraud and more outright extortion, but a reward can sometimes be offered in the form of the hitman offering to kill the man who ordered the original hit on the victim. Investment schemes, emails touting investments that promise high rates of return with little or no risk. One version seeks investors to help form an offshore bank. The fifth third bank brand, name, and logo have been frequently exploited in this scam. The computer security company McAfee reports that, at the beginning of September 2006, over 33% of phishing scam emails being reported to McAfee were using Fifth Third Bank's brand. Romance scam, usually the scam begins at an online dating site, and is quickly moved to personal email, online chat room, or social media site. Under this form, fraudsters, pretended males or females, build online relationships, and after some time, they ask for money from the victims. They claim the money is needed due to the fact they have lost their money, or their luggage was stolen, they have been beaten or otherwise harmed and they need to get out of the country to fly to the victim's country. Dating extortion scam, after baiting an individual into intimate conversations, 
they are told to pay unless they want their conversations posted online and they are named a cheater. There are no reports from the FBI that indicate that the records are actually removed once payment has been made. Online business directory, typically offering a free subscription to a non-existent directory with hefty fees for maintenance in the fine print. Death certificate scam, person will get an obituary off internet. Find out relatives related. Get their emails. Contact them with fake story of another family member near death, which of course, is only told in ambiguous language. It originates out of Ethiopia with the Maklai tag in the email, but it can have the German free email tag along with it. Marriage agency scam, pretending to be translation agency or marriage agency, they do not actually translate emails nor connect to real brides, but fabricate emails and create fake profiles on dating sites. They can use pictures of real people from other websites. Typically they are aimed for foreign men looking for brides from the former Soviet countries. When a victim is engaged, they ask for communication expenses such as translations, voice phone calls, video calls, agency fees. They impersonate the brides instead of providing a matchmaking service to them. The real ladies may not be aware that someone is using their identity. Secret shopper, the intended victim is solicited via email to work as a secret shopper, often after the victim's resume has been posted at a job search site. Once engaged, the victim is sent a counterfeit check along with instructions and forms for work as a secret shopper. The provided instructions typically are to make several small transactions at nearby businesses, recording their experience on an official looking form. Universally is the instruction for the victim to also create a significant wire transfer, with a request to rate the experience. The counterfeit check is cashed at the unsuspecting victim's financial institution in order to accomplish the listed tasks. Traffic ticket spam, fraudulent emails claiming the recipient had been issued a traffic ticket. The spam, which spoofed a nyc.gov email address, claimed to be from the New York State Police, NYSP. Word of mouth. This email spam state that an anonymous person posted a secret about the recipient and that he needs to pay a fee in order to see the message. Job scams, the victim is seeking a job and posts a resume on any internet job site. The scammer spots the resume and sends the victim an email claiming to be a legitimate job listing service, and claiming to have a client who is looking for an employee with their skills and experience. The victim is invited to click on a link to apply for the job. Clicking the link takes the victim to a job description specifically written for the skills and experience on the victim's resume, and provides a very high salary, and invites them to click here to apply for the job. If the victim clicks on that apply link, they are taken to an application form that asks for the normal job application information, plus the victim's social security number, date of birth, the name of the bank and account number where they will want their paycheck to be deposited to, a relative reference, etc. With this information, the scammer can open up a bank account in any online bank and utilize the victim's credit to buy items online and ship them to associates who are in on the scam. PayPal scam, fraudulent emails claiming the victim has been issued a payment to the his slash her account, however processing will be complete once the victim has sent the item he slash she is selling to the individual's address. This scam is mostly common in selling items to individuals abroad. Avoiding email fraud. Due to the widespread use of web bugs in email, Simply opening an email can potentially alert the sender that the address to which the email is sent is a valid address. This can also happen when the mail is reported as spam, in some cases, if the email is forwarded for inspection, and opened, the sender will be notified in the same way as if the addressee opened it. Email fraud may be avoided by Not responding to suspicious emails Keeping one's email address as secret as possible Using a spam filter Noticing the several spelling errors in the body of the official looking email Ignoring unsolicited emails of all types and deleting them. Not clicking on links. 
ignoring offers from unknown sources. The contents of an email are not a formal or binding agreement. Many frauds go unreported to authorities, due to feelings of shame, guilt, or embarrassment. Now, here's 22 ways to protect yourself against phishing attacks. New research shows phishing scams remain a significant cybersecurity issue. Here are some ways to avoid being the next victim. Phishing just won't go away. In fact, it's getting worse. A recent Proofpoint cybersecurity survey identified phishing attacks as one of the top data security problems facing businesses, with 83% of organizations worldwide reporting attacks in 2018. Overall, respondents answered a quarter of the survey's phishing threats and data protection questions incorrectly, a serious concern for IT departments everywhere given the emphasis placed on detecting and avoiding these attacks. Proofpoint surveyed companies in 16 industries and evaluated more than 20 departments. Communications divisions responded the most accurately, with customer service, facilities and, ironically, security doing the worst. Finance industry respondents were the most knowledgeable while education and transportation brought up the rear, missing 76% of the questions. What's going on? Organizations seem to be getting worse at preventing phishing attacks. Fortunately there are some fairly simple ways to improve. Perhaps it's time for a refresher. What is phishing and how does it work? Phishing definition, a fraudulent attempt to trick individuals into divulging sensitive information, usernames, passwords, and banking details, by pretending to be a trusted source, often through an email communication. Spear phishing, a more personalized way of targeting a victim, leverages three potential weaknesses in a recipient. The apparent source appears to be a known and trusted individual. The message contains information supporting its validity. The request seems to have a logical basis. Phishing emails typically try to lure the recipient into doing one of two things, a, handing over sensitive or valuable information, or b, downloading malware. There are several types of phishing, and each has the potential to wreak havoc in an organization. How to avoid phishing scams. From an organizational perspective, the FTC provides a helpful overview and good advice for recognizing and avoiding phishing. Something a user has, like a passcode you get via text message or an authentication app. Something a user is like a scan of a fingerprint, a retina, or their face. Multi-factor authentication makes it harder for scammers to log into accounts if they do get a username and password. Protect all computers in the organization by using security software. Set the software to update automatically so it can deal with any new security threats. Protect all mobile phones and tablets by instituting a mandatory update policy on devices that access your network. These updates could give you critical protection against security threats. Protect your accounts by using multi-factor authentication. Some accounts offer extra security by requiring two or more credentials to log into an account. This is called multi-factor authentication. The additional credentials required to log into an account fall into two categories. Protect your data by backing it up. Backup data and make sure those backups aren't connected to the usual network, for example copy computer files to an external hard drive or cloud storage. Back up the data on your phone, too. These are critically important and useful steps towards safeguarding yourself and your organization against cybercriminals. In addition, after employing the above, train staff to read all emails with a critical eye. Never trust any source that requests sensitive information via email. Is the email professionally written? Misspelling and grammatical errors are hints you're being fished. Never trust a source that doesn't know your name and account information. If the greeting is generic, it's probably a scam. Watch for overly urgent subject lines and language like verify your account. Emails saying your account has been compromised frequently tip off a phishing attack. Does the email contain attachments? 
if it's an unsolicited approach with an attachment, it may well be a scam. Is the email from a legitimate domain? If the at domain.com part of the email doesn't exactly match the corporate website URL, it's likely a scam. Make sure the site is secure, does the URL begin with HTTPS? When you mouse over the link is there a closed lock icon near the address bar? Is your browser up to date? Companies release patches for newly detected malware all the time, so let their developers do the hard work for you. Install an anti-phishing toolbar or plugin on your browser. Does the email's message contain a shortened URL? Hover over it, but don't click. Check your status bar, does it show a legitimate address? If not, it's a scam. Instead of clicking on a suspicious link, type the institution's root URL, the https colon slash slash abc.com part, of the into the browser to access the website. Stay informed. When you Google how to avoid phishing the search returns well over 15 million results, so it isn't difficult to stay abreast of the latest news and prevention best practices. Pay close attention when there's a story about a new tactic. Retake your company's security and anti-phishing training. If you score less than 100% study up and try again. Instead of double-clicking a suspicious file, upload it to an online document reader like Google Drive, which will convert it into HTML or a PDF. This will allow you to review the document while preventing it from installing malware on your device. Be wary of pop-ups, which are frequently employed in phishing attacks. Most commonly used browsers allow you to block pop-ups by default. Trust your gut. Does the email feel different or off? If it purports to be from someone you know, is its content inconsistent with the tone and vocabulary you're used to from the source? When in doubt, do not click. Make don't click your default setting. Only click a link once you're sure it's safe. Report potential phishing emails to IT or, if they're allegedly from someone you know contact them to ask if they sent it. Hackers are clever and are always innovating new ways to breach cybersecurity defenses, so no single tactic is likely to afford 100% protection. But organizations can do a lot from a policy, procedures, and training perspective to be more aware of phishing and how it works. <laughs> what y'all think about that? Email phishing and email fraud. Hmm. And I'm going to tell y'all something. Y'all go back and listen to them 22 ways to protect yourself. But let me tell you, y'all going to need that. You know, one of the strangest things to me the other day, uh, my mama, she almost 80 years old. She <laughs> talked to her on the phone and she said she finally learned how to send pictures. <laughs> I said, oh my goodness, this woman know how to send pictures on text now. First, she learned how to text. That was surprising to me. Then she learned how to send pictures. I said, man, look at here. Then she called the other day and said, she know how to do video now. I say, oh, man, I hope my mama don't be doing, <laughs> I hope she don't get there and be, and be doing no, uh, what well, have them girls be doing, them butt shots in the new mirror. <laughs> oh, no, that'll be a bad sign for the internet. <laughs> Uncle Maduro mama in, in the mirror, doing mirror shots, sideways. Boy, I tell you, that's an ugly sight. <laughs> but I'm just saying, elderly folks now is getting into this email thing. And I remember at one time, when they geared emails and uh, internet mostly to older, I mean, young folks. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. They targeted email fraud to older folks because older folks ain't know the internet. You know, and older folks is a lot of more susceptible to a lot of fraud, just like they is to telephone fraud. But see, these days, old folks is getting into this internet thing and it's just opening a whole new world up for these hackers and these folks that want to commit frauds. Now, a lot of times what you have to understand is that how they get the information. 
And I know myself, like everybody has been a victim of phishing emails. You know, where somebody send you an email look familiar or some interested to you and you click on it. I know myself after I've been studying this thing because I listen to a lot of uh, uh, hacking websites, you know, like Dark Web and uh, Malicious Life and stuff like that. So I got a good little understanding, a good little understanding on how this hacking thing works. Now, everything today is based on your information. That's what folks want. Folks want your information. Even down right down to your simple email address, it has a value to it. Simple email first has it back. You know, like back, like like back in the day, I remember advertisers used to try to get mailing lists. They used to pay folks for their mailing lists, you know. And that's what these emails are today. The email <laughs> emails is like a mailing list. People used to pay hundreds of dollars to get three, four thousand dollar names with with mailing addresses so they can send them marketing uh, uh, advertisement. So that's what this email or this internet is too. It's a way. To uh, is a way to for folks to send your email address so people can spam you with stuff. So people can send you email with stuff. People can also have access to fraud you to send you phishing emails. Now y'all know what phishing emails is because I just told y'all here in this little talk that we just had. Phishing emails they they want you to click on that like at work. We get them phishing emails at work. But my thing of it is if you don't if you don't know who that person is or that URL or that email address, I always just forward it up to IT. You know, let IT deal with it because I don't know you. And that's just like on my telephone. If you call my telephone and I don't know who you is, then I don't answer my phone. And I know a lot of times what I do is with my crazy self is you may call my phone and I don't answer my phone. Then we hang up. I call back just, just to see if that's a real person or whether that's a robot or something. You see what I'm saying? And that's the same thing with this Internet. This Internet thing didn't look at it as it had taken away it has taken is taken away from phone scams. Now it's on the internet now. So you just move phone scams and it's just matured to internet scams. So it's pretty much the same scams. It's just done digitally now. And again, the whole thing of it is to get your information. And if you don't know, you click on something, you click on something and it's harmless. Let me tell you something, one thing. Ain't nothing on the M and on the internet is harmless. Everything that's put on the internet is put there for a purpose. You know, even some of the similar fictitious uh, information that we get is put there for a purpose. All this propaganda that we get, I mean, the Internet has just exposed all this propaganda. has made it so easy to propaganda or propagate information. But the thing that we want to take a look at, that we want to take a look at here is because these emails, y'all got to stop clicking on things y'all don't know where they're from. Because like I say, everything that's sent to your email box it's sent there for a purpose. Now, I know like for myself, you know, I get a lot of emails from Joanne Fabrics. <laughs> you know, I do a lot of I do a lot of hand sewing, you know, but a lot of times I don't answer. Them. And most of all the times I don't answer. If I get an email from Joanne Fabric about a sale or something like that, I don't answer it. I just delete it because then because see, I know I know myself. I got a little app on my, on my little phone. I click that little button and I go straight Joanne Fabrics website, and I can see if they got any what are what they deals off for the week twenty two percent, I mean twenty percent, forty percent, or fifty percent coupon. Or if I'm lucky, this weekend it's probably gonna be a sixty percent coupon. But I go to their website if I see it, just because I shop at Joanne Fabrics. I don't click on nothing, no emails from Joanne Fabrics. That's why I don't get on these folks' mailing list. Like if you go to your gas station now, sometimes your gas station. 
pump gas, they, they want an email address, you know, to send you your receipt. Now you go to these stores, now you buy some, they want you to put your email address in. Can we send you email? No, give me that paper. I get that paper. I don't need no more spam email going to my email address. Because see, that's the thing about it. You get oversaturated with something, right? You let your guard down. You know, you're getting email receipts from all these stores. Only thing that doing is just capturing your information. And then it's going to track, track your buying habit also. So the Internet is a good thing. And the way things are progressing, things are going to progress. You know, you can't, <laughs> what they say, you can't snap, so you can't stop a snowball once, it, once it's rolling down a hill. See what I'm saying? Because that thing going to grow and it's going to grow. But what you have to be is you got to know how to be a little smart when you're dealing with this internet thing. You got to be smart when you're dealing with it. And when you're trying to be smart, deal with it, you ain't going to be the smartest. You're always going to learn stuff because you're always going to get tricked. Because like that guy said in this little talk here, you know, you can't stop it. You cannot stop, you know, uh, phishing emails. You can't stop email fraud. You can't stop it. But what you can do is you can learn. And the learn is, is the human behavior. It's how to be disciplined when you're dealing with this internet thing is. You got to be disciplined. And all it is, is a click. It's something as a click. Something as a click. People got you all the information. And another thing that you have, that you have to be a leery of is changing your email. Change your email. Change your passwords. You got to change your password regular. I know like at work, they want us to do it like every 30 days. You change your password. You got to keep changing your password. And I know a lot of us like these simple passwords and they're keeping passwords on our computer. Even you got to have a piece of paper somewhere, an old fashioned way, write down your passwords. That's probably the safest way to do it. Every 30 days, or even every 15 days, change up your passwords. Because as long as you guys going on site and you're shopping at Amazon and you're shopping at all these places like this in, right, there's a high probability that you're going to get hacked. I mean, hey, just face it. We all got hacked or going to get hacked. Bottom line. But you have to take these precautions. And like these big companies, I know we think it's safe to shop at Amazon online, stuff like that. Let me tell you something, Amazon get hacked too. Because technology in this computer thing is always evolving. You know, this computer is always evolving. There's always going to be somebody to come out with the latest sub. They're just going to make the security folks scratch their head they ain't never seen before. Because it's evolving. People are evolving. So, the best way to stay ahead of the thing of it is, like I say, is keep your email addresses and, and I mean, your email passwords change. Keep changing them frequently. And then it's not a bad idea to switch email services account. Switch from Gmail. Don't go to Yahoo, though. <laughs> you got to watch Yahoo. Don't go to Yahoo. I mean, switch from Gmail to maybe AOL or some, some, uh, some of these other uh, Internet carriers. And you got to realize one thing. Whenever somebody gives you something for free, ain't nothing on this Internet for free. It's like, it's like Google when Google give you Gmail. Gmail ain't free. Gmail, you paying Gmail for your information. Anytime somebody email you about something, y'all talk about something, y'all talk about somebody's mom, or talk about somebody's daddy or somebody like that. Google can, Google have the, Googles can look at your email anytime they want to. And you can't do nothing about it. And you can't complain about it. You know why? Because it tells you in terms of condition that they have the authority to do that. If they're giving it to you for free, what do you think? They're giving it to you for free and then you gotta you have a sense of privacy? 
when somebody gives you something free, you don't have no privacy. Like I tell y'all, there's a price to pay for anything on this email, and you don't have no privacy. Okay? Now, I can get off into a lot of things like this here, but I want to stick with, you know, email phishing and email fraud right now because we're going to talk about a whole lot of things from Facebook and all that stuff like that. That's why I ain't on Facebook and all that kind of stuff like that. Now, don't get me wrong. It's probably when I was on Facebook, they probably already got enough data on me already. But that's a different subject. But right now, I just want y'all just to be careful. When y'all online and you get them email notifications pop up, don't click on them real quick. If you don't recognize who that person is, right, or that company is, don't click on that email. If a, if a company like Amazon or or Best Buy or somebody like that send you an email because you didn't bought something from their location and you gave them their email address to send you a paper receipt, you know, if you, don't click on it. Don't click on it. If it's interesting to you, go directly to the company website. Because whatever offer it is they're sending you in that email is going to be listed on their website. If Best Buy is having a sale about something, right, and they send me an email, I'm not going to click on that link. Because they make fraudulent websites look like the actual website of the company that you're trying to get in contact with. You think you dealing, you, you click on a link on a, from your bank, right, and you think you're going to your bank website, that, that's a fraudulent website. Make it look like your bank front, make you put your information in. If my bank send me any type of offer in an email, I don't click on the link. If it's offer I'm interested in, I go straightly to my bank URL or my bank website. I don't click on that link because they make they clone websites. I mean, I clone website in my in my web in my, in my uh, WordPress when I do web WordPress I mean, WordPress emails. I clone websites. I clone my own web. If I don't want to go through and hook up all the um, all, all, all the plugins to a website that I like, but I want to design one on that platform, I just clone the one I'm working with, then I just change the information. And that's what these hackers do. They clone websites like to your bank and all that kind of stuff. Then you send you emails with link, and you follow that link, and you put your email address and stuff in. I mean, your you, you put your, uh, you know, you may put your email address and your password in, and it don't work one time. You say, man, what's going on? I know that's the right password. You put that, you put that email address in the password again, and it still don't work. Hey, what's going on? Then you do it a third time. Bam, they got you. It's a fraudulent site. So if you get an email even from your bank, don't click on that link in the email. Always go to that, file, that URL to your bank and check it out. And then what I like to use also is I like Norton. I've been using Norton. I've been losing Norton for security 360. Oh, my goodness. Probably the last 12 years I've been using Norton. And I like what Norton is. Norton, you go in the Norton browser and it, and it has safe search. It has a green green check mark tell you if a, if, a, if, a, if a link is safe to go in. If it's not safe to go in, it's blank. If it ain't safe to go in, don't go in it. But I like Norton. I like now Norton ain't isn't perfect. But Norton is a good tool, and Norton generally stays on top. Norton also has has um has a uh, has a dedicated DNS line. Also, Norton has that too, a dedicated service line. They have a DNS, you know, like some of these um, new companies that are coming out now with all these private DNS lines, where you can get like for twelve dollars a month, eight dollars a month. Which is a dedicated line that you're supposed to be on that nobody else can hack into. It's like if you own if you online doing something 
and you're on your DNS line, then nobody else like outside your house that's hacking into your Wi-Fi can see what you're doing. So you got stuff like that going on, okay? And we're going to get more off in the DNSs a little later also. But today, just want to give y'all a little talk on phishing emails, email fraud, and how to protect your ways. At least 22, there's more ways to protect. The best way I always say to protect yourself is if you don't know who that email is from, don't click on it. Just delete it. If you get something from your bank, get something from your bank, don't even don't open it. Delete it and go to your bank and see if that offer is uh, is on your bank website. If you get something from your doctor, doctor notice, don't click on it. If you click on it for your doctor notices, read what it says because your doctor shouldn't be asking you for information. Your doctor should not be asking you for no information. They already got your information. So if your doctor send you a notice, say, hey, you gotta make you an appointment for this for this day like this here. Right. You don't you go on and you look at it, you delete it, but then call your doctor and make your appointment. Don't make your appointment down online. Anything I give information to it. Now, if your black doctor send you a reminder about appointment, that's one thing. But if a doc, your doctor office send you uh, an email asking you to to uh, to make your appointment online or whatever information they need. Click delete that email and call your doctor and do it on the phone with your doctor's office. OK, so it's little things like that. And you can do more. To try to protect yourself. But this email, this email thing is very, very, very important in a line of folks hacking your account and committing fraud against you. So it's a very serious thing, okay? All right, now, we look here. I took up enough of y'all little time on this little talk here. You know, I, I sure appreciate because we're going to get more often in this, in this technology thing. Because like I tell folks, this technology thing is a game changer. It's a game changer. I like it. I love it. But at the same time, you, you got to be really, really careful what you do online. And the best thing, the best thing to protect yourself is not open no emails up. And also, if you get hacked by something, the best thing you can do is unplug your computer from the internet. <laughs> Just unplug it because it, it needs a connection. Just unplug it. If you feel you got hacked about anything, something going on, be unplug that bad boy from the internet right away. All right. But look here. Old man, Uncle Maduro, I show like this. I'm kind of excited because this is something I really like. Besides talking about money and stuff like that, I like talking about this internet thing. I'm not that too uh, proficient in talking about it. I'm going to do the best I can talk about it. But the information that I that I bring to y'all, man, y'all listen to that information. That's more important, you know, than my ranting and rumbling about my little personal experience dealing with this thing. Okay? All right, now. And look, y'all get a chance. Y'all go online. Y'all look for this 601 Blue Label Maduro. If you can't find at your local cigar spot, then y'all go online. Go online to CI Holtz, Drew Estate, somewhere like that, and see if y'all can order and try it out for yourself. And like I say, if Roz ain't got it this this Thursday, then uh, I'm probably not going to be trying this on Blue Label. But I'm going to ask Roz about it first. If Roz got it, then I'm going to try it out. If Roz ain't got it and, and uh, you know, say it probably ain't worth a hill of beans, probably don't be trying it. But what these folks right here say, like I say, I'm not, I'm no, not no cigar aficionado. But these folks here say that it's a pretty good stick, and it's not like a good stick, but because it's Maduro. Now it's a Connecticut, it has some Connecticut broadleaf Maduro, uh, which you know I really don't too much care for the Connecticut, but I don't know about the Connecticut Maduro. But everything ain't for me. But this seems like a good little stick. Y'all go online or go to your local CR spot, try it out for yourself. Now look here, y'all. I just got to make a correction before the end of this little pod talk. I kept saying DSN. But it's not DSN, what I was kind of referring to. I was referring to VPN, Virtual Private Network. For instance, ExpressVPN. That's what I use on my TV. That's what I use on my phone. 
And that's what I tell my folks around me to use also. ExpressVPN, and this is not a commercial for them folks because they don't pay me. They don't even sponsor this little pod talk. Just telling y'all what I use. And just to get what I was saying corrected earlier about that DNS, that dedicated network service. No, it's VPN, Virtual Private Network. What it is, it's a private network that you pay for monthly and it's secure, supposed to secure your line where nobody else can hack or watch or see what you're doing. It's like when you're talking to your folks, can't nobody outside your house tap into your, your Wi-Fi, see what you're doing, or even use your Wi-Fi. So I recommend everyone out there, like I say, ain't nothing 100% safe, but just like a condom. It may buzz, but at least you want to know, at least you tried to have one on, okay? So y'all go out there and y'all get that Express VPN. It's a good little service. And if you don't like Express VPN, it got a couple more of them out there. Now, on my little laptop here, I use Norton VPN. I like Norton. I use Norton for all my laptop and all my computer stuff. So, again, I'm sorry about saying that DNS or whatever I say with that D is actually Express or just VPN, Virtual Private Network. Now, and like I tell y'all always in closing out there, y'all take care of everybody. But more importantly, y'all take care of y'all first. All right now.